Good morning, everyone. Uh, it's, it's, it's fun and exciting, actually, to be back up here and to do this. There you go. Because uh, it's been a while since I've been up here. And uh, so, yeah, thank you for your prayers. We were in the States, and, and now we're back. And uh, so today, like as Peter was saying, I get to kind of keep on going in the series that we've been calling the Jesus Trailers. And I'm assuming that all of us are very familiar with, like, movie previews. You know, some of us kind of don't really like them, so you show up to the movie theater about 20, 25 minutes after the previews have started, so that you just want to get to the story that you, you, you came to see. And because, so let's face it, there's some previews that are like, actually not really good, you know? They kind of tell the whole story. You, you know the beginning, the middle, and the end, and you kind of go, yeah, I don't need to see that anymore. And uh, it looks like a bad movie anyways. But then there's some really good ones that, you know, you, you got, they suck you into the story, but not really tell you anything about the story. And you kind of want to go, oh, oh, I, I see what, I think I know what it's about, but not quite sure. And so you want to go see the mo- movie. And, and because of those good previews, there's some of us that just have to get to the movie theater, you know, early. So we get the right seat so that we can make sure we don't miss any of the previews. Because we want to know everything that's going to be, you know, coming up. Uh, my mother-in-law was this way, you know, back in the VHS days, we'd watch a movie and eat when she'd rent it. And she would force us to watch the previews. We could not fast forward them because she had to see what was going to be coming up next. And so she just loved the idea of feeling the tension and even, I think, getting a sense of the kind of mini movie. She, you know, I think she liked to do that because, you know, sitting down for two and a half hours to watch a movie was just kind of too long for her. So to get a whole movie in one shot was the, the way to go. And, uh, and so, there's, so there's some of us here. So what, the Jesus Trails are kind of anticipation of Christmas, looking in a, a book that's, that was written 700 years before the birth of Christ uh, called Isaiah. And, and we're, so we're going to be looking at a, a preview of Jesus today. And um, what's interesting about the book of Isaiah, it was written to a, a people that were, again, like 2,700 years ago, 700 years before Jesus. And they were... Uh, kind of was to say facing the, 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 the eminent destruction of, of their society because Isaiah is calling them back to their, their relationship with Yahweh, the God of Israel. And they had been rejecting him. They've been going after other gods, looking for safety and security in other nations. And their brothers to the north had already been wiped out by Assyria. And so through Isaiah, God is saying, hey, get your act together because these Babylonians are going to come and they're going to do the same to your, what they did, what the Assyrians did to Israel, to you. So, and, and then in the midst of this, you're saying, hey, God's going to take you away. But then after a time, he's going to bring you back to the land. But I think there's still going to be some things that are missing. And in these I, Jesus previews, we see that actually something greater is going to take place. Something far more significant than, than the Jews could ever anticipate. And I, I think you got a taste of that last week in Isaiah 42, uh, where Dave uh, Ferguson was talking about the the, the servant who God delights in and gave his spirit to, and, and who was going to be the one that they were going to look forward to because he was going to bring justice and righteousness to the earth, but he was going to do it in a way that they would never expect. Because, uh, you know, we think of someone who's going to conquer and rule. They're going to have power and prestige and pomp and pride, and they're going to kind of defeat their enemies and, and, and make everything right and establish justice. But this one, this, this servant was going to come and bring uh, justice and righteousness on the earth by, through compassion and tenderness. That 
he was going to not, you know, break the broke or the bruise or snuff out the smoking flax or the smoking wick, but actually uh, heal the bruise and give life and oxygen and fuel to the, 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 the smoldering wick to give it, make it a fire. And this is the servant that, that the, they were looking forward to that we know that is Jesus. And this week in Isaiah 49, uh, the same kind of uh, shock, I think, is, is something that um, well, I think we all can relate to. There's something in this, this preview that I think should suck us into the story, even if we might know the story really well. Okay, because there's, uh, there's a tension, I think, for all of us who are very familiar with Jesus and know his story. We're kind of like somebody who's seen a movie a thousand times and can quote it and then go back and watch a preview of that movie. And you kind of like, instead of like being sucked into the tension of the preview, you kind of go, oh yeah, I know where that part of the movie is and I know that. And you kind of solve all the puzzles that's being left. So, so the challenge today is kind of like, let's get into the sandals of Isaiah and Judah and feel the tension and kind of going, I want to hear that story, even though I kind of know what the story is. Okay, so that's kind of where we're at. But I think that, I think even with knowing the story, that there is a tension, there's an unexpected, there's an expectation that we are, I think is quite shocking. And it's something that I experienced this week. Um, so on Thursday, uh, I, I uh, thought I was being smart. I was going to update my computer. And so I updated my computer, and the update froze everything. I mean, everything. And I could have tried to fix it, but it was going to take about... And I, that was Thursday morning it started happening. I didn't get it really fixed until Friday morning. And, and those of you who are Mac users and think, oh, uh, he must, if he's upgrading, this must be a PC. No, actually, it was my Mac. Uh, it was my MacBook Pro. I was updating the new operating system, and it destroyed my computer. So I had to... The last time I had backed it up was Monday morning. And so, thankfully, it was only Monday morning because it could have been a month. It could have been a year. But it was Monday morning that I last updated it. And so all my work from Monday through Thursday morning, I had to kind of just let go. And in that moment, all the work that I put into this sermon and another writing project that I had was just gone. And you, I don't have to really describe too much the feelings that I had hopelessness, despair, frustration, anger. I wasn't really a person you wanted to be around at that moment because, you know, that just the frustration of a computer that I don't understand, and you're trying to get on the internet and try to figure out all the ways to fix it, and there's no real way to fix it unless you like, can write code, and I'm not going to write code and break my computer. So uh, I, just, I just felt this hopeless, all this labor and, and work that I put into this, this, this well, this, this sermon was gone. I had to start from scratch, and I I was hopeless. I had no way of controlling it. And uh, this isn't just a feeling that happens when I think uh, your computer melts before you. It's uh, even like in a relationship. So as like a youth pastor, this reminded me of some stories of being a youth pastor where I put like my time and effort and prayer and thought and all kinds of things into a person. And you could see them grow and, and get into the Bible and start chasing after Jesus for themselves. And then uh, a girl walks by, and his heart goes from being, oh, I'm kind of interested in the Bible and all that it's saying, to I'm going to go chase after this girl who's kind of showing some interest in me. And they kind of abandon everything and chase after her. And as a pastor, and I'm sure as parents as well, but as a pastor, you go, all, all, the, all the time, all the effort, all the things that I've done for you is just kind of just vanished before my eyes. Like, what was the point of this? And, and in this situation, I could go and offer truth, and I did. And I could do all kinds of things. 
But really, I can't force them to make the right choices. I can't force them to come back. I can't say, hey, there's a far greater thing. You know, you, you know a few years down the road, the best thing is going to be chasing after Jesus. This thing might not, this relationship might not be a good idea. And, you know, I think if they were in my shoes or maybe in somebody else's shoes, even uh, up here, they could probably look in and say, yeah, that's probably right. But in, in the midst of it, they, are, they don't want to hear what's being said and they don't want to see what's going on. Uh, and, and so you, just, again, the hopelessness and the frustration and the despair that as a pastor I was feeling. And I'm assuming that even for you who, as a parent, you know, you think about a parent who uh, puts all the time and effort just talking about this morning, like all the energy that goes into raising a kid just the first five years, but putting all this time and effort and see them grow up and then make really poor decisions and chase after things that they should, you know that they shouldn't chase after. Drug addictions, all kinds of stuff. And, and you can't do anything. You can just keep on offering your love and patiently um, be rejected by them. But ultimately, you can't force them to make the right choice. And, and I think that, like, I just think about my mom who's had these kinds of things with my siblings. That just the hopelessness, the despair, the frustration, the helplessness. And... and and that's not just parenting, but in any kind of relationship. I know broken hearts of, you know, dating and um, just even thinking about, um, well, just being a marriage and a divorce, all the time and effort that goes into a relationship like that. And someone leaves you for somebody else. And the hopelessness and the despair that you feel, I can't do anything to make this right. Or even as a kid who's gone through divorce and saying, I want my parents to be back together. They should be one. And it doesn't, it, there's nothing I can do to make that happen. And What's amazing is, is that we have a God who understands that despair, that hopelessness, that frustration, and, and has actually lived through it and lived in it. And is, and is many things. It's just absolutely amazing that we have a God that understands that very situation. So let's look at Isaiah 49. And if you don't have a Bible, there's one on the, the table. It's on page 609. And again, I try to put Isaiah or... You know, this, you know, 700 BC kind of sandals on and start to feel the tension of, of the preview, uh, the teaser, I guess, if you will. So it starts off, and I, we'll just look at the first three verses. So this is the servant of God. This is the, the, the that's speaking. He says, listen to me, O coastlands, and give attention, you peoples from afar. The Lord called me from the womb and from the body of my mother. He named my name. He made my mouth like a sharp sword, and in the shadow of his hand he hid me. He made me a polished arrow, and his quiver he hid me away. And he said to me, you are my servant Israel, in whom I will be glorified. Now, if you're the southern kingdom or Israel, you, you read those first two words, you, you all of a sudden, you're hooked. I think you're hooked immediately. Because the only person who talks like this in the book of Isaiah is the Lord. It's like him saying, it's like the servant saying, thus saith the Lord. He's using the, the authority that Yahweh has in the same tone. He's using that kind of authority. He's saying, in authority-wise, I am parallel. I am equal to the Lord. It's just quite shocking. So I think Isaiah, the first time he's hearing this, he's going, well, I'm interested. What's going on here? How is the servant talking like he is connected to the Lord so close that he can, has his authority? And then, and, and that, he's... He's saying, pay attention, everybody everywhere, coastlands, people from afar, any, not just the nation of Israel, but everyone, pay attention to what's going to be said. Because the Lord has called me from the womb, 
And he has, he's had a purpose from the very beginning. You know, so he named my name. It's like God had, the Lord has for this servant uh, from the very beginning had this plan for what he was going to do, what he was going to say. All the things have been planned out from the, the, while he was in his mother's womb from the very beginning. There's no plan A, or no, there's, excuse me, there's no plan B. There's only one plan, and this is, it's been formed from the very beginning. And he goes on, he says that while I was being formed, he, he made my mouth like a sharp sword, and he polished me like an arrow. I had a, I, he's going to have a message, he's going to have a task, he's going to have a ministry, and he's been formed and shaped by it. And like a polished arrow... It doesn't miss. It's one that's been cared for. It's not going to miss. So his words are going to be spoken, and they're going to hit its, its target. But, but what he's been formed to do has been hidden. It's not quite time yet for this to take place. So in his shadow of his hand, the Lord's hand, he hid me. The Lord's hid me. He's hid me in his quiver. He, he hasn't taken, he's not ready to shoot the arrow. It's not quite time yet. And then he says, and the Lord said to me, the servant, he said, you are my servant, Israel. And here's another place where I think Isaiah and the nation is going to be drawn into this preview. Because um, the, the naming of the name Israel. Uh, so just be, all the, the chapters before this, uh, just right after you know, Isaiah 42, that uh, he, Israel is talked about as being the one that was created to be the light to attract all the, the peoples of the earth to the Lord. So the, the, the purpose of Israel is that God has loved them and chosen them, and he's going to work in that nation. And then the, the Gentiles, everybody who isn't a Jew, is going to be drawn to the Lord Yahweh and, and worship him and be in a relationship with him. And we, we've seen this actually take place. So um, if you look back in, in other places of the scripture, so when God brought Israel out of the nation of Egypt and crossed the Red Sea on dry ground and crossed, was about ready to cross the, the Jordan on dry ground, a Gentile, Rahab, heard about it. And she risked everything, her entire life and livelihood, to, to worship Yahweh. This person who's from Jericho had other gods and other uh, associations said, I'm going to risk everything and be uh, a follower of Yahweh because I've seen what he's done. And he is clearly the king of, the, king of kings, Lord of lords. He is the God of the heavens and the earth. And, and we even see that like the Queen of Sheba. So just a couple hundred years before this, uh, King Solomon is given all this wisdom. And, it, and his wisdom kind of spreads throughout the world. And Queen of Sheba kind of can't believe the, the kind of wisdom that this Solomon king has. And so he, she goes, excuse me, she goes to see him and kind of test his wisdom. And after he clearly passed the test, she says, wow, the Lord has loved you and he's, and he's loved Israel because he's given a king like this to this nation. And, and I think the Queen of Sheba is hearing about this. The light, the glory, the beauty of who Yahweh is. Is going out because of the nation of Israel. So what's amazing though is that in Isaiah. That, that kind of uh, fulfillment. That, that kind of role. Israel is continually rejected. They're, they're blind. They don't want to see what the Lord is doing. They don't want to hear what the Lord is saying. They're, they're going after and chasing after the gods. They're not actually being... The, the, the people that he w- they were supposed to be. But from the stump, from somebody from Israel, this servant is going to be given this name, Israel. And this Israel is going to save the nation of Israel. And so this Israel, whom I will be glorified, I will be made beautiful. I will be, people will see who I am. 
And so this is the, the role. This is kind of the preview of this servant. He has the authority of the Lord and is connected to the Lord. But at the same time, he's been given a task to make the Lord known. Um, and to draw, I think, people to himself. I think drawing the nation of Israel to Yahweh again. And then the, 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 song, or the, the servant goes on in verses 5 through 6. He says, But I have labored in vain. I have spent my strength for nothing and vanity. Yet surely my right is with the Lord and my recompense with my God. And now the Lord says, He who formed me from the womb to be a servant, to bring Jacob back to him, and that Israel might be gathered to him. For I am honored in the eyes of the Lord, and my God has become my strength. Let's stop right there. You don't have to flip the page. Uh, I, what's interesting is we get to enter into a prayer, I think. This is, this is a dialogue that the servant is having with the Lord. And the servant says, the task that you've given me, and this is, remember, this is, it, it, I'm laboring in vain. It's not working. I've offered, and I continually to offer to bring back the nation of Israel, and it's not happening. They're rejecting me. They're not coming back. And I keep on offering and offering and offering. And they keep on rejecting and rejecting. And all of my labors and all my strength has been spent on doing what you've called me to do, but it's not working. But, but even though my ministry is failing or failing and my ministry is fruitless, God, you're still my strength. You're still my reward. You're the goal. I'm going to completely lean on you. So you can see at the end here, I've been honored in the eyes of the Lord and my, my God has become my strength. Even in the midst of this ministry, he's saying, Look, at, I, this servant is, while speaking with the authority of the Lord, is the one that's completely dependent on God for everything. He's my strength. He's my place where I rest, even in the midst of, of, of the plan that he has for me not seemingly working out. And so I think the, Lord, the, the servant is coming to the Lord in despair and frustration and hopelessness in some ways. Kind of saying, look, at what you have in store for me that you've planned since before um, I was born doesn't seem... To be working out. And then in verse 6. The Lord continues. And he says. I think in slight response to this. He says. It is too light a thing that you should be my servant. To raise up the tribes of Jacob. And to bring back the preserved of Israel. I will make you as a light for the nations. That my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. And so in a sense in his response is that don't worry. This is, this is the going according to plan. But it's kind of a too small a task for you just to bring Israel back to me. It's, it's too light a thing to just preserve Israel and to gather them and make them be back in relationship with me. Actually, I'm going to give you something greater, something bigger, something more f- fulfilling. I'm going to make you the light of the nations and my salvation is going to reach the end of the earth. From you, from your moment of despair, becomes the hope of the world. This is the point. He's like saying, hey, look, you're going to draw, you're, you're going to, Israel's going to reject you, but you're going to go and be the light to the nations. You're going to be the neon sign flashing and saying, this is what the beauty of the Lord is like. You're going to be the one that draws everyone to me, and you're going to make everything right. And that's the answer to the servant's despair. You're going to be the hope of the world. But, but. Going into verse 7, that doesn't mean the world is going to accept you. That doesn't mean like they're going to be like, they're going to be just like Israel. Because look at the Lord says uh, to the, the Lord, thus says the Lord, the Redeemer of Israel, his Holy One, to the servant, the one who's deeply despised, to the servant who's abhorred by the nation or the nations. 
to the servant of rulers. You're going to be despised. You're going to be abhorred. You're going to serve the rulers. But, but, kings shall see who you are, and they'll rise, and princes, and they shall prostrate themselves, because the Lord uh, who is faithful, the Holy One of Israel, who has chosen you. He's saying, I'm going to give you, here's the big, broad picture. Yeah, you're going to be rejected. You're going to go after the nations. You're going to be the salvation, but even the nations are going to reject you, just as Israel has rejected you. But, but at the end, everyone's going to worship. Everyone's going to uh, bow down and say that this is, it's worked out because, because the Lord is faithful. He, he, he's going to make sure it all works out. You can trust him. And he's saying to the servant, you can trust me. Everything's going to work out. I have chosen you. And, and so I think what we need to see is like, wow, this, hopefully we're getting sucked into this preview. Kind of going, you know, we can see, yeah, there's some things about this that are pointing us to Jesus. That clearly, this is clearly about Jesus. But 700 years before, it might just kind of be a tension I'm really curious about. But then I think, the response to this preview is, and, and what God is going to do in big picture is um, finished in 8 through 13. So what we're going to see is that all the heavens, all the people, heavens and the earth, they're going to rejoice that the Lord has had compassion on the afflicted and, uh, and comforted the, his people. But he, he, he's doing it in a way in response to the servant's prayer. He says, thus says the Lord... And kind of an extended preview. In a time of favor, I have answered you. In a time of salvation, I have helped you. I will keep you and give you as a covenant to the people. Let's stop there. So what's, what, what the Lord is saying is that the servant is going to be the connection by which uh, the people are going to be in, in relationship with him. So that they can be in relationship with the Lord. That he is going to be the covenant man. That as they're united to him... They are going to be in relationship with the Lord. And from this covenant, from this relationship, is going to be coming, like what's described, the rest of the passage will really, from about mid-8 all the way through 12. So the land's going to be reestablished. The, the wilderness is going to um, no longer be desolate. The prisoners are going to be unbound. People who are hiding in darkness are going to come out into the light. People who are um, hungry and thirsty and exposed to the elements are going to have pasture land to feed and drink and they're going to have a place of shelter in 10 and then he goes to says look i will make all my mountains a road and all the highways shall be raised he's saying that every obstacle of being in relationship with god is going to be removed it's going to be level and it's going to be flattened and people from afar from the north and from the west and um, from the land of syene or in the east i think we're not really sure where that is but Basically, from every direction of the compass, people are going to come and be with the Lord. And then that's when Isaiah says, hey, let's break out in song. Because what the Lord is doing, the big picture of what he's going to be doing through the, the servant, is so worthy that the heavens sh- sh- um, um, should sing, exalt, O earth, break forth, O mountains, into singing. For the Lord has comforted this people and he aff- has compassion on his afflicted. It, it's just a really amazing picture. And so let's think, okay, now we've been sitting are trying to stand in the, uh, the sandals of people 700 years before Jesus. Thinking back now, 2,000 years post-Jesus, kind of looking back and saying, well, now there, there's, well, here's this question. Here's just one thought and just a tangent. Well, why, 
why 700 years before Jesus does, does God have to give a preview? Why does he have to do that? Um, and if you look on just the page over 608, 48 through 3 through 5, he answers that question. He says, if I do a work and pro- declare that I'm going to do something and then immediately do it, you are going to give credit to your, the idols. You're going to give credit to other nations. You're going to give credit to yourself. You're not going to give me credit. You're not going to actually see that I'm the one that's working. So I'm going to declare things way in advance so that there's no other way to explain it other than the Lord has been involved. So, so thinking about uh, what Jesus did, died on the cross and rose again, and, and we see that there, his ministry being previewed here, I think if, if God said, hey, you know, two days before it was going to happen, here's how it's going to happen, and that no, no one's ever talked about it before, we kind of would rationalize it away. People started to rationalize this away. You know, this isn't really talking about Jesus. It wasn't really written 700 years ago, but even as Peter said a couple weeks ago, that the translation of this book was written a couple hundred years before Jesus. So th- this has been around for a long time, and it's, this is the reason why there's a preview, so we can see, well, actually, God is involved and God is the one that's had this planned from the beginning. But here, the Christmas story of God um, well, embodying himself in humanity so that we could have life, that we can have purpose, that we could no longer have to worry about death. Uh, is th- this very story here. The servant is going to come. He's, going, he's in relationship with the Lord. And he, I think he, this is kind of a vague anticipation of this is God on two feet. That he has the authority of the Lord, but he's, he, everything he does is in, um, in dependence upon the Lord. And we see Jesus coming in complete dependence. He can do nothing apart from his, his, uh, well, his relationship with the Father. And he, com- he comes and his ministry is rejected by the Israel, by the leaders, religious people, and, and I think even the powers of the nations. We see a pilot as part of killing him and rejecting him. And... And, but the afflicted, the broken, are, are, are gathered to him. And then, being completely innocent, he goes to um, the cross. And we, you know, the dissection of his despair, nobody really knows where that is in Jesus' story of the gospel. Is it, is it him being rejected by the, 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 you know, the nation of Israel? Is it um, the prayer just before he goes to the cross? Is it the cross? Is it, I've done everything, I've labored in vain, no one is coming to me. But I think is that that moment of despair on the cross, it, it, he becomes the hope of the world. He's always been the hope of the world, but right there is the big neon sign flashing. This is the beauty of the Lord. This is the, the glory of the Lord, dead on the cross. And as we're united to him, as he's the covenant man, the one that's cut, the one that's broken, to be in relationship with him. Because that's, you know, covenant, that's what it means. Like the underlying word is this sense of cut. It's a, a way that two, uh, two people would be in relationship together. They would cut an animal in half and kind of walk through it and say, hey, if we break our deal, we're going to be like this animal split in half. And so it's kind of binding, don't you think? You know, uh, and and so here is this man who's going to be broken so that the people can be in relationship with the Lord and that everything can be made right. And so he goes to the cross and he dies for our hopelessness. He dies for our sin. He dies for the, the brokenness of the world. And all that is his becomes ours and all our sin becomes his. And, and then what's the response? We, we, as he defeats death and raises to life, we get to join in and look, going back to, I think it's a big broad picture of, of this song or this, uh, this preview, 
is that all all the nations are going to celebrate. At the end, there's going to be no tear. Everything's going to be made right. We can celebrate the fact that the Lord has had compassion on his people. He's going to, even through what he's done in Jesus and through us, the Gentiles, I think he's going to draw Israel back to himself. And we're going to, at the end, we're going to be able to celebrate and the world will be able to sing and rejoice. So, I guess what I, kind of going back to this idea that in the despair of the servant, the, the Lord doesn't take his ministry away. He says, look, actually, there's something greater. You're going to become the hope of the world. And just think that, you know, at times in life, I'm sure you can kind of feel like life is pointless. Life is meaningless. Life is, um, well, just not really worth living. And in the, the moments of frustration and despair, the brokenness of relationships, that you can kind of go, you, you can see, well, actually, God knows what it's like to give all his heart and all his soul. That says in Jeremiah 32 that he's given everything to his people, but they still stiff arm him. And that we understand that there's a God who's done that, and he's removed every obstacle so that we can be in relationship with him. And I hope we can see that, oh, man, this is the kind of God that I can go, yes, I can see the light, and I want to join the light. I want to walk out of the darkness. I don't want to longer hide in my brokenness and my sin, and I can go, and he can be my strength. And so when I face the moments of brokenness and despair, or even the melting of my computer, I can go, actually, God is my strength. He is my hope. He is my goal. He is my purpose. Because look what he's done for me. He loves me so much, and I love him because he's loved me. And and what would life look like for us if we lived in that reality that every obstacle has been removed. Every um, moments of, of despair and, and worry and panic that we have a God who says, I know and I understand. I've been there, but I'm with you and I've solved it. Lean on me. I'm your strength. I'm your salvation. I'm your hope. I am your home. Because look to the cross, look to me. In that moment of despair, I became the hope of the world. Let's pray. Uh, Father, thank you, Lord, so much that, uh, that you have an incredible plan. It's always been that Jesus was never plan B, but it's always been plan A, that, that all the nations would be able to come to you and be in relationship with you, that you wouldn't force uh, us in that, in that uh, relationship, that you would patiently offer and continually offer, even d- going and, and becoming a human and, and the humility of, of being a babe and growing up and being a man of obscurity. And, and then having a ministry uh, being rejected by so many and going to the cross and dying for us. Lord, I just pray that we would see you new and afresh, that we give our hearts to you. Maybe see you for the first time and say, yes, I, I have a God who understands and, and knows uh, what, it, what it is to be human. And, and, uh, and he's with me and I can lean on him and know that all that is mine, all my brokenness and sin is his because he's died on the cross. Um, I pray in your name. Amen.